The opinions and views expressed in this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents. To find out more about this talk show or other talk shows broadcasting on KUCI, log on to our website at KUCI.org or check out the latest program guide. You're listening to KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. Welcome to Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. I'm Lloyd. I'm the show's engineer, and your host is Mari Frank. Mari's been an attorney mediator for 26 years, and during that time she's resolved thousands of disputes as a neutral conflict healer. She's a member of the Orange County Superior Court Mediation Panel, and she's been a law professor of negotiations and mediation and presently teaches negotiations right here at UCI. She's the author of Negotiations Breakthroughs and co-author of Stepping Stones to Success and several other books. To listen to previous interviews, see upcoming guests, download podcasts, and learn more, visit www.conflicthealing.com. So Mari, what's your show about today? Lloyd, today our show is about a love relationship, and it's a, it, we have a book right here in front of me called The Indestructible Relationship, and it's by a woman named Kimberly Pryor, who happens to be the author. And this is a book to help couples stress-proof their love life, argue less, and fall in love, even more deeply in love than they were before. And the book was a finalist in the 2011 Global eBooks Awards, and it is a finalist in the 2012 Epic eBook Awards. Kimberly also is an award-winning journalist who's had more than 600 articles published in magazines and newspapers. And for more information about this wonderful book, you can go to indestructiblerelationship.com. So without further ado, we're so glad to have Kimberly join us all the way from Nevada. Hi, I'm glad to be here. And there's also a bit of good news that since we last spoke, um, the the book actually won the Epic eBook Award oh. for nonfiction. So That's it went cool. from finalist to winning, which is awesome. Well, congratulations. That's terrific. Well, everybody wants a loving relationship. I mean, I want one. Everyone that I know wants one. And then I happen to deal with a lot of people who are going through divorce. And and they're sad because their relationship didn't meet their expectations. So we're going to talk a little bit today about how to have an indestructible relationship and, and how to really make your relationship indestructible. So... First of all, why don't you tell me, how how is it that you came to write this book? Well, you know, um, I was actually kind of struggling because a number of my friends were getting a divorce. And, you know, I wasn't having much luck with relationships at the time either. And I I was watching the news one day, and there was a report of flooding that had been going on in North Dakota. And it, um, you know, the newscast showed some of the couples that went through the flooding, but they never really asked them about their relationships. And I began to wonder, well, if these couples and other couples could go through really stressful experiences and still stay together, why is it that my friends were getting a divorce and they had not gone through anything stressful? You know, so I wondered, what, you know, what is it that makes relationships indestructible when, they're going through such, when couples are going through such stressful experiences? And what did you learn about those people that had been through this this? stress of this damage, you know, of the flooding. What did you learn about that? Did you did you look into that any further? 
Yeah, I did. What I did was I interviewed a number of, of couples, and they had gone through different types of stressful experiences. And um, one of the couples I interviewed went through uh, the flooding in North Dakota. And um, one of the things that, that I had learned from them was, um, first of all, when you're going through stress and you haven't gotten any sleep for three days, it's really, really important to realize that it's not your relationship that's the problem. It's the stress that's the problem. You know, so many times when we're under stress, we think it's a relationship that's the problem, when in fact it's really that we're going through something stressful, and that's what's really making us unhappy. So one of the things I learned from that couple is if you're very, you know, if you're unhappy about your relationship, really sit down quietly and ask yourself, is there something stressful going on in my life? Am I having challenges at work? Um, is there anything that's really stressing me out where it's the stress that's the problem and not the relationship itself. Right. And, you know, nowadays we live in such a fast-paced society and there's stress all around. I mean, there's stress with raising kids. There's stress now. There's so many people that are under so much stress because of the economics. I have people who are laid off and then they end up and they're, you know, they can't get a job and then there's money problems. And of course that creates more stress and there's health issues that, that arise. So, I mean, I don't think we can really get away from stress, can we? No, you know, it's, it's going to be there. So we need to really learn how to deal with stress in a way that it doesn't affect the relationship. You know, we, we need to be able to realize that, that it is indeed the stress that's the problem and not the relationship itself. So, yeah, it will always be there. It's not going away. And so how damaging is stress really to that relationship, to the love relationship? That's the closest person in your life besides maybe your kids, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and... You know, stress really, in many ways, is more damaging to relationships than another man or another woman, because a lot of the, a lot of times when we experience conflict in relationships, you know, we're meaner to each other than we really are to our own neighbors or people we don't know. We feel as if because this person lives with us and we're comfortable with them, that it's an excuse to use them as an emotional punching bag. Right. And that's not really the right way to go about it. But yet we do that anyway, and it's, it's somewhat natural. In fact. They actually found, um, some researchers found that after Hurricane Andrew hit South Florida, that uh, people felt about a year afterwards that they were closer to their neighbors, but they were having more problems with their family members and spouses. Mm. And that's because they were nicer to their neighbors than they were to their yeah. spouse? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, when I think about this and, and, you know, I deal with conflict all the time and I deal with couples and conflict and I myself went through a divorce and thank goodness I am right now in a, you know, I've been married for a long, longer time and I've been in a long-term marriage and I really work at it. But, you know, I've really had to learn a lot. I don't think we learn from our parents necessarily how to be a good spouse. And I don't think we learn this kind of stuff in school. So where do we learn this? Well, you know, it's interesting you brought that up because what I really figured out after I interviewed all these couples, and I, I told their stories in ways so that you're living the whole experience with them. And what I figured out as I was interviewing them really and after I wrote the book was these couples are really role models because what you just said is very true. So many people do not have good role models for relationships. I mean, my mother and father had a good relationship, but he died when I was eight years old. Mm. And so he had a heart attack. And, and so, mm. you know, I lost him as a good role model. And from the time I was eight years old on, 
you know, um, my stepfather wasn't really the best role model. So um, a lot of people are in that situation. You know, their parents have gotten divorced, and they don't have good role models, which is actually one of the reasons why I interviewed all these couples, because they've been together a long time. They've gone through stress. Um, to me, they really are role models. Exactly. You know, why is it that one couple will get a divorce after they lose a child and another couple not? You know, we have relatives that lost a child when she was seven, and this couple really stayed together. What they did was they had their their faith. They were very active in their church. They stayed active in their church. They had a lot of support from their church, and they made it through the death of a seven-year-old child and had two more kids after that. Yeah, and, you know, that's important to bring up. First of all, um, actually, I learned that it's actually a myth that that there's a higher divorce rate in people who've lost a child. But yet, even though it's a myth and the divorce rate, it runs, depending on which of the two studies you're talking about, it runs anywhere from 9% to about 16% divorce rate. But when a couple goes through that, it puts a huge stress on the relationship and the marriage. And there are people who who do get divorced afterwards. And what I found when I interviewed one of the couples, one of the indestructible couples who had lost a child, is, um, you know, like you said, you know, they, they turned to their faith, although they actually went to different churches. Um, but another couple who I interviewed, whose marriage fell apart after they lost their teenage son, he died in a car accident. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, you know, it, the reason why their marriage didn't make it is because the wife turned to God. I mean, her religion was important to her. She um, was able to not be angry at God and not blame God, whereas the husband blamed God. And, you know, he was angry at God. He was angry at a a lot of people. And, you know, that's what really destroyed the relationship is his anger, both at God and at um, the road crews for not standing the road. And he was filled with so much anger and blame that it really just destroyed relationship. Right. And, you know, even though that is one of the parts of the process of grieving to be angry, it sounds like he got stuck in there. Yes, he got very stuck there. And he wasn't willing to go to therapy with her or do anything that would really help him get unstuck. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so sad for him, right? Yeah. So you suggest in your book that um, people should stop stockpiling annoyances in order to prevent arguments. So why why don't you tell me what you mean by that? Well, you know, a lot of us are, have, have been in this situation. You know, your honey has a habit you find annoying, and instead of asking him or her nicely to stop the very first time you're annoyed, you kind of hold it all inside. And then you've, got, you've had a bad day at work, you're stressed, and when you're more stressed than usual, you yell at your romantic partner for annoying you with this habit. So what, what you should do instead of stockpiling these annoyances it's always good to just sit your sweetheart down the very first time you're annoyed and in a nice tone of voice say something like, you know, honey, when you're humming when I balance a checkbook or answering emails, it really bothers me. And I I know this might be just a problem with myself, you know, but I can't concentrate when you're doing it. Would you mind staying quiet when I'm doing things that require concentration? So the very first time the person does something that annoys you, it's best to just in a very nice way ask them to stop rather than holding it inside. Right. And it's so important, <clears throat> excuse me, for people to think about why they're annoyed before they even open their mouths, you know, because maybe what the person is doing really isn't that annoying, but but they've got their own problem 
yes. and, and, and pretty much think about what are the facts here. Because exactly. I, I, you know, I know a lot of people and a lot of couples. In fact, I have a couple right now that for years and years, she was bothered by a lot of things. And like you said, she stockpiled them. And she's so angry now that she has to get out of the marriage. And he was oblivious. And I think that's what's really important is to learn how to say things to each other, but think before you say them and speak only the facts, not so much how you feel or how they're affecting you or that you're annoyed with them, but just to say, these are the facts and I'm uncomfortable with it. What can we do? Turn it into a question as to like, what, you know, what can we do? Or are there some issues that, that, what are some issues that you want to bring up with me? And right, learn exactly. to talk from the beginning because what happens is these people who come into my mediation, they said, we never fought. Well, we never fought because we never discussed anything. <laughs> <laughs> right, exactly. And what you said about you know, giving them the opportunity to also express you know, something that you're doing that's bothering them, that's very important too. That's so important because that way they feel as if they have the right to also share with you. Yes. And, you know, because I'm in the business that I'm in and in dealing with conflict and I do divorce mediation, I also ask couples that are married a really long time, I'll ask them, what is it that that makes it so that you are so happy together? What is it? And often I get this answer like, I let her be her and she lets me be me. Mm -hmm. And I think... Very important. Yeah, that's that's a really important thing because we often try to change our spouse. I know there are a lot of times that, <laughs> that I'll ask my spouse to do things and he looks at me like, can I just be who I am? You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, you know, um, I think it's important too. I mean, I think what, what it is is our, our spouses, you know, our, our, if it's your boyfriend or your girlfriend, it's really important you know, that, that, that you don't expect them to change with certain things. But there, especially when you're first starting to date somebody, I think there are certain things that, you know, it, it's good to either try to change or when you're first starting dating them to get out of the relationship if they won't change. For instance, one of those things is dependability. If that, you know, if you're just starting to date someone, you've been dating them for a couple months, and that person tells you, you know, your boyfriend tells you he's going to call you and he at a certain time, and he doesn't. Right. I think it's important at the very beginning to express that it's important to you, that you feel as if it's, you know, dependability is important to you, and you feel as if it's important that he calls you when he says. So I think there are certain things that we should, you know, pay attention to at the beginning of relationships and, you know, actually ask the person to change. And if they're not willing to be dependable, then that's a good sign that you should get out. Exactly. Isn't that really about watching boundaries from the very beginning? Yes. And, you yeah. know, I just I just spoke with somebody who uh, I met yesterday, and he was telling me about in the beginning of his relationship with, with his sweetheart, who he is married to now and very happy, he said um, he could see that she was overstepping boundaries. And um, so right away, she, he wanted to go to a certain place, and she refused to go. And he said, this is really important to me that you go with me to my family. And um, she said, well, I don't want to go. And he said, all right, you don't have to go, but I don't want to be in this relationship if you're going to be like that. And they, you know, and she said, are you breaking up with me? He said, no, I'm just telling you I don't want to be in a relationship. If that means that you don't want to be, you know, if you're going to do that, then that's the end of our relationship. Wow. <clears throat> and so, um, yeah, and then he told me that uh, they didn't talk for two days, and then she called him and she said, you know, you're right, this is really important to you. I'm really sorry, and I'll go. And ever since then, they they watch boundaries with each other. 
And he told me that that was really important to him right from the beginning is that something that was really important to him, if she wasn't willing to do that, then he knew that that wasn't going to be lifelong. Right, exactly. I thought that, you know, it's about boundaries, isn't it? Oh, goodness. It very much is. And something else you said earlier, too, was very important. You said that the couple you had worked with, um, the woman wanted a divorce, and the man was just oblivious that he had done anything wrong. Right. One of the things that I always recommend to people is to not expect your romantic partner to read your mind. Exactly. You know, so many times we expect them to think and feel exactly like we do, but that's not the case. They're different people. And if they're doing something that's annoying you or if you want them to do something more romantic and they're not giving you enough romance, they might not know that you need more. I mean, it's just, it's always important to express yourself to them and let them know and not expect your romantic partner to read your mind. And sometimes people are afraid to express their desires, whether, you know, we're not talking just about, you know, in a sexual relationship, but they're afraid that if they say what they want, then then they're going to get a backlash by someone, you know, that somebody is going to make fun of them or they're going to get into a fight and let it escalate. So rather than they'll avoid an escalation of conflict. And then what it does is it just, you know, simmers inside until they get really angry and it comes out insidiously. Right. Exactly. You know, and I mean, I think what I've noticed over the years is you could really ask people for anything you want if you pay them a compliment first. I mean, it's, it's kind of funny. I went um, a long time ago out on a date with an Italian guy, and he, he, during dinner, was knocking down some of my belief systems in not the nicest of ways. But, you know, I, I decided that I was going to actually call him, tell him I had a nice time on the date, but I wasn't interested in pursuing it farther because he had actually asked me on a second date. He'd actually called me and asked me on a second date. And so before I, I told him I wasn't interested in pursuing it any farther, I gave him a genuine compliment because I felt as if he had a good sense of humor. And I told him, you know, you have a great sense of humor. You made me laugh on our date. I really appreciate that. But I don't feel like this is the right choice for me to continue onward with you. And he said, wow. He goes, you know, you are an amazing person because you could have sent me some nasty email or you could have just sent me an email instead of calling me and telling me. And he goes, I really appreciate that. And he goes, you know what? He goes, I had a lot of fun and, you know, you were you were a great kisser, and, you know, I, I, um, I, I wish we'd continue onward, but I respect your wishes. And he was very polite about it, you know, because I think a lot of times people are afraid that if they express their wishes, the person's going to get mad at you. Right, right. And, you know, when I did it that way, I gave him a compliment first. It really set the stage for being able to tell him anything in a way that he wouldn't get mad. Right, right. It's unfortunate that you didn't tell him what you were upset about, though, so he could learn from that because maybe he would have been able to learn, you know? Right. And, you know, I think I actually did tell him at one point in our conversation that it just really bothered me that he, I think what it was, is he, he actually called me. He, he said, you know, um, I wouldn't eat farm-raised fish is what it was. It was on the menu or something. And uh-huh. I, I don't eat farm-raised fish. I don't so, either. <laughs> yeah. And so he told, I think he called me anal or something for not eating it. Oh. And that's what really upset me. So I think I actually told him in our phone conversation that that was <laughs> one of the reasons why, you know, but I started the conversation out giving him a compliment and I did tell him about, about yeah, that. Yeah, that, that's nice. And that, you know, there's no reason to ever be hurtful to someone anyway, you know, right. and that's the thing like when you were talking about before, when you said, you know, those closest to us, like you think if you're married to somebody a long time that, that they should be able to take it if you say something to them nasty or, 
or if you say something flippant or, or something like that. And, and that's exactly the opposite. If they're supposed to be our, our best friend, then we want to speak to them nicer than we speak to anybody. Exactly. And, and that's what we often forget, isn't it? Yes. And, you know, I can actually tell when friends of mine are on the verge of getting a divorce, if, if I start hearing them criticizing each other in public. Yes. And that's the worst thing you, we ever want to do is to criticize someone in public. And, you know, the the thing is, is that I know even for me, you know, and I'm married and, and I do this for a living, even for me, and, and my husband's listening to this right now, <laughs> but um, that, you know, sometimes I am concerned or fearful of like how he's going to react. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Because we don't know, but we have to kind of feel the fear and do it anyway, but do it in, in the nicest way possible. And kind of for, for me, <clears throat> what what I think you're right to start out nice and really in a kind of a velvet touch with, you know, a nice compliment that's true, genuine. Because if you give yeah. a compliment that's not true, they're gonna they're gonna know it, and yeah, it's gonna exactly. seem really disingenuous. Exactly. So you know, it has to be like you start out really nice, and then you know, just say this is. I I think what helps me is to say I'm really uncomfortable when, because yeah. that you're t- you're not blaming. You're not saying you do this and it makes me nuts. It's I'm uncomfortable when this happens. So what can we do about it? Yes, and that is blame is a huge, huge um, reason for relationships breaking up. One of the things that I always tell people, you know, I suggest that they that they um, take responsibility for their own actions. You know, like I mean, the other the other night, my boyfriend called and I was cooking dinner and. You know, I didn't turn off the burner when he called, and I could have, but I didn't. So all of a sudden, I was sitting here talking to him, and I forgot about it burnt, my dinner burning. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I have to go. My dinner's burning. And it, it was burned, but I didn't blame him, you know, because he's the one who called me. It was my responsibility to turn off the stove when he called or to, you know, break away sooner than what I did. So, you know, people blame each other for small things. They blame each other for big things, too. Exactly. And both of those things can be very destructive. You know, Blame and guilt are opposite each other, and those two things are like poison for a relationship. You are yeah. so right. You know, you blame somebody for something else, and then what are they? Then they feel guilty. Then what do they do? Then the the opposite. Then they blame you back, and right. then you try to. Then they try to make you feel guilty, and it's this vicious cycle that turns into hate. Yes. So yeah. So. It, it is definitely something that we don't want to do. And, you know, I, I was talking with somebody else and someone said, well, you know, he caused her to do this. You know, he caused her to do this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, he was talking about, you know, he caused her to have an affair during the marriage. And I, and I just looked and I said, no one causes us to do anything. No. We all have choices. Exactly. So if she had a relationship outside of the marriage, it may be true that she was unhappy, she wasn't getting her needs met, and she wasn't comfortable in, in the marriage anymore. But no one makes you have an affair. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, we all, like you said, we all have choices. Someone could push you in that direction, but yet we all have choices in the end of what, how we're going to react. Right. If you're not happy in the relationship, you either work on the marriage and do whatever you can to make it better. You go to therapy, you do what, what it takes to, to communicate effectively. And if that doesn't work, then, you know, you have the choice to leave, right? You know, there's really only four choices that we have when the relationship goes bad. One is to be miserable, (laughs) which some people do for a really long time. 
Another is to just work on yourself. Another is to negotiate for change. And another is just to leave the relationship. Those are the only four choices we really have, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I've heard people say before that, you know, when a woman gets really critical of a man, they've been married, she's critical of him that he had the right to have an affair, you know, but the, the fact of the matter is, while it's true that she should not have been nagging him critical all the time, you know, giving, giving each other compliments is very important in a relationship, but like you just said, I mean, he had a choice of whether he could have left the marriage, he could have tried to work on their relationship, expressed to her what was bothering him before he had the affair. Right. I mean, before he, I mean, he shouldn't have had the affair to begin with, but if he had just left the marriage or at least tried to work on it, rather than just saying, okay, well, I deserve to have an affair because, you know, my wife isn't nice to me. Right. In this case, it was the opposite. She had the affair. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it could be either way. It, right. It, it exactly. definitely could be either way. So, you know, you talk about in your book that men and women react differently to stress. So why don't you talk about that? Yeah, they really do. And, you know, men as a general rule want to solve problems. And when they feel as if a problem can't be solved, it really stresses them out. And one of the best examples of this was after Hurricane Andrew hit South Florida. There was a woman who walked into a Red Cross shelter. And she told one of the mental health counselors there, my husband's gone mad. And she explained that after the hurricane, he picked up the trash on the yard and then he mowed the lawn. But then he mowed it again the very next morning. And so the Red Cross counselors explained that, again, men feel they need to fix the problem. And all her husband was trying to do was fix what couldn't be fixed. Right. So they suggested that the woman figure out something he could do for his, with his hands. And then shortly after that, she arranged for him to volunteer his time repairing um, generators and engines. So when two people are under stress, when you know, man and woman are under stress, it can really help. Like if you're evacuated because of a natural disaster, you can ask your man to take the kids for a walk. I mean, anything to make him feel as if he's doing something. Right, fix fixing problem. something. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's so true. You know, when you're, when you're under that kind of stress, if you could do something that you feel that you can do that, that you're good at, then it, it does boost your, your, your sense of good, you know, good feelings and, and your sense of self-worth. So yeah. it's terrific. Believe it or not, we are just about out of time. So let's give the name of your book again and your website. Okay, it's The Indestructible Relationship, and you can find it at www.indestructiblerelationship.com. Well, Kimberly Pryor, you're wonderful, and thank you for writing this book. I think it's got great stories about these couples, and it's something that we can all learn to have a better relationship. So thank you so much. You take care, and we'll talk to you again for when your right. next book, okay? Thank you so much for having me on your show. Okay, bye-bye, Kimberly. You've been listening to KUCI 88.9 FM and Irvine and KUCI.org on the net. I'm Mari Frank, host of Prescriptions for Healing Conflict. Join us every Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. right here on KUCI and visit our website at conflicthealing.com. Thanks. Expressing this program do not reflect those of KUCI, its management, or the UC Board of Regents.